But there is a special mercy upon all of you. And a particular measure of grace is flowing among you. Uh, Never in the last 21 years of active traveling ministry have ever been a meeting of saints with a minimum age, technically, (laughs) technically is 50, has been so exercised, so open in heart, and so open in spirit. Someone has been praying for you. And some ones have been praying for you. And the one who has been praying to a very significant extent wants to answer the prayers today. So let's let him do that, okay? Uh, This is not the once for all answer. This is just the first stage of the showers of blessing. Uh, What I share with you on every point is by the Lord's grace an experiential reality to me. Nothing is merely doctrinal, although we need healthy teaching. Nothing is theoretical. Everything is real, actual, and practical. And uh, some may wonder, well, how did you learn whatever you learned, or how did you come to understand whatever it is you understand? Well, the answer is really in a hymn. I'll refer to it. I think I will accurately quote some of the verses. When I first sang this hymn in a church meeting, I I touched something of the Lord I didn't know existed. Come and rejoice with me. For I have found a friend who knows my heart's most secret depths, yet loves me without end. Come and rejoice with me, I once so sick at heart have met with one who knows my case and knows the healing art. So whatever I learned, I learned as a patient who, to some extent, has been ministered to and healed. So we are here without outlines, not because I didn't feel like writing outlines. I can't. I don't serve that way. But I had the leading of the Lord's Spirit not to prepare outlines, but to take heed to a certain multifaceted burden in my being 
And just let the Spirit flow. So this is what I think we're doing. I mentioned last night, and I can only give a briefest review, lest we not manage the time this afternoon, that will address, not cover, nine matters. Because each matter is something that needs uh, much attention and learning and experience. But for now, addressing them will give us, I believe, sufficient light. Uh, We can only take so much of a laser beam, right? We don't want to be reduced to nothing. So I believe the Lord in his wisdom knows how to apportion things. And I would remind you, because, or if you weren't here, I would just remind you, and I fully believe this, the most useful period in our lives begins at 60. (laughs) There is no upper limit. There is no upper limit. Okay? You read how long Joseph lived, 130 years, whatever. Okay? And, huh? Yeah, that's right. And so, I'm finding out this is the case. When I heard this word at the age of 58, who found turning 50 painful, I alerted my family. You might be able to relate to this. I said, this is a sad day. Don't do anything. And we don't usually do anything anyway, but I just wanted to be sure. From wife on down, if you're going to do anything, you should mourn with me. I don't know why it was so painful. Then my daughter, who was at UT, found out about this, and she thought, I've got to rescue Dad. (laughs) So she comes home and works with her two younger brothers to do this or that. I was not in a good mood. She said, what do you want for your birthday? Okay, I want a brand new Ford Taurus Super high output. <laughs> if I'm going to have a midlife crisis, I'm going to have a real midlife crisis. <laughs> so a few hours later, they came by and gave me the keys to a brand new Ford Taurus SHO that they rented for two days. <laughs> And then when I turned the car on, then a tape began to play that was a message from them. And so I was shepherded through the valley of turning 50. (laughs) And then eventually, of course, we just went on. But when I heard in 1997, that the best years are from 60 and upward, 
I was really happy. <laughs> and turning 60, I didn't need a rental car. I didn't have to warn anybody. I really felt, Lord, I'm just getting going. And as one may be representing you, I don't think I've peaked yet. And neither have you. Okay? This is going against the whole mentality of our culture, the whole youth-worshipping society, the whole tendency to not respect and appreciate older persons. But we are in, not the tide of the age, but in the flow of the Spirit. And certain matters can only be attended by older human beings who have been prepared by experience for that responsibility. In, uh, on July 31st and repeated on August 7th last year, I needed to be under specialized combo care of a urologist and a radiation oncologist at UCLA to get a particular kind of treatment, a combination of surgery to do this and radiation to do this, and the whole thing repeated in a week. And in preparation for this, uh, I talked to two men. The first was a very gifted medical, not, not a student, he was an MD who was the fellow for this specialist at UCLA. And he explained the nature of the thing. And then the man came in, Dr. Demanis, Dr. Demanis, about 57. And I just realized I'm not anti youth, but this kid ain't touching my body. <laughs> He is being trained to do what the Dr. Demanis can do. He will equal him. Maybe in 25 years he'll surpass him. But the expertise, the skill, the wisdom is not with the young. It's not with the early middle aged. It's with, believe it or not, people just like us. But this doesn't happen simply because you grow older. Growing older doesn't qualify you anything except Medicare. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) And Social Security and whatever else there is. So I'm not going to coddle any natural feeling. I never comfort with false hope. Certain things need to happen in us experientially. Now, I pointed out last night, if you hadn't heard this, exercise to listen to the end. Okay. There is a pivotal decade, spiritually and humanly, in the lives of the seeking saints in the Lord's recovery, and that's between 40 and 50. Much of our experience testifies of this. Even the record in the scriptures, to some degree, verified this. The ministry confirms this. 
It's a pivotal time because during this time we may pass through the third stage of the experience of life. We're no longer on the surface. We now realize our major problems are not other people, other things, situations. All the major problems lie inside of us. And eventually, I realize I myself am the problem. So there's the flesh, the self, and the natural constitution. This should be addressed over a period of time. It may take a decade. So that when we now enter another stage of middle age, the spirit can concentrate on our maturation just as the Spirit concentrated on Jacob's maturation after he lost Rachel and set up that pillar. Transformation had taken place to a certain degree, to a very advanced degree, but he was not yet mature. But we either have these experiences during the fifth decade or we don't. If we've had them, then the Lord will care for us in one way. If we haven't had them, as I pointed out last night, I'm not here giving hospice care to anyone in the Lord's recovery. I'm not here to minister the last rites and say, well, I guess you'll have to settle for the next age. Absolutely not. I don't want to say too much. <clears throat> I'm not only ministering concerning this. I am fighting for this. Yeah. So if certain things didn't happen, then let's not live in a dream. Let's recognize they didn't happen. So let them happen now. A little more challenging. But look. Everyone in the New Jerusalem will be matured and perfected. So every believer. Since it will happen sooner or later, we choose sooner rather than later. Don't believe the lie of the enemy because it is a lie. And I rebuke that lie in the name of Jesus of Nazareth that it's too late. You wasted too many years. You were gone for 25 years and you came back. And then the devil comes to you and says, it's good you're back, but sorry, it's too late. No, devil, the only one it's too late for is you, man. You're lake of fire bound. You just watch what the Lord as the sevenfold spirit will do in this 58-year-old returned saint. You just watch and be shamed at what will happen in the next eight or ten years. So it's with this spirit of genuine hope, of anticipation, of belief that the best is ahead, that we have 
one who knows our case, who knows the healing art. He is for us. He's our savior. He's our friend. He's our physician. He's our priest. He's the Samaritan with oil and wine. He knows our being. He knows what we need. He knows how to care for us. All we need to do is say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I love you. I've never loved you more than I love you now. I place myself in your hands for the sake of my own maturation, for the building up of the body. Please give me the experiences that I need. Last night, we addressed the crucial matter of the growth in life. We tried to point out that if Christ is not increasing in us through the cross applied to the flesh, the self, and the natural constitution, as we age humanly, other things grow in us. This is a fact of human life. So the self will grow. Then some dear human beings When they are elderly, they are in the full flower of the self. Just one opinion after another. Coupled by so many feelings, negative feelings from the past. It's sad. Or the disposition with which we were born gets stronger and stronger until it dominates our being. Or the peculiarity, the warped, and biased characteristics that we all have. So, you are not young believers. You are serious, consecrated, maturing saints. The only way we can have the inward reality that the Lord needs is that we let the Lord do a deep and thorough work in our entire being. Last May, when I had to be taken to the ER and then put into a part of the hospital I didn't expect to be in, while they're trying to figure out what's going on with my heart, I was really hoping, I can't say it was a formal prayer, that a certain cardiologist would be assigned to my case. I knew him, and he was. Then he took me through the whole thing, And then he explained what he felt he needed to do. We need to do an angiogram tonight, this evening. And I just said to him, I trust you. I trust you. This is what I need. This is what we'll do. Well, how much more can we tell the Lord, I trust you? If I need major surgery, if I need whatever... You know my case. I don't want to close myself off to you. I don't want to run from you anymore. I'd like to come to you just as I am, even though I don't know. See, I'm, it becomes so free now. I can tell the Lord, I don't know where I am. I don't know what I need. I just know I love you and I'm opening to you. You take care of the rest. Okay. So we addressed but we couldn't cover adequately 
the need to grow in life. Now, in this session, in the time remaining, uh, which will be just about an hour, maybe till about 5.30, then we, from that point on, we can have confirming fellowship from you. And by fellowship, you don't have to, like, prophesy, okay? We, you, we can actually talk to one another and open to one another. Like our dear sister last night from Reno. Wasn't that exhilarating? Doesn't that remind you and make it clear to you the triune God is real? So we need time for that. So we will address four other matters. Uh, They all work together, but they're quite different. It's like different organs of your body. We're taking care of your heart or your liver or your kidney. It needs a kind of specialized attention. Okay, the first I I introduce by telling you a story that a mother told me. And by a mother, I mean one of my two genuine spiritual mothers. I lost both of them. They're now both with the Lord. But this one, originally from New York, named Clara, she had a very weak heart, had nitroglycerin on her person. And whenever I happened to meet her, like just on the sidewalk somewhere, We would both stop, and she would say something to me, and I would take it in. And I knew she prayed for me in a very particular way with much discernment. But one day she told me this. She wanted to tell me about a conversation she had with her husband named Carl. So it went like this. Clara and Carl. Carl, things are so sweet between us, aren't they, dear? And Carl said, yes, Clara, they are. It's so sweet. And Clara says, Carl, do you know why they're so sweet? No, dear, I don't know. Why is everything so sweet? And Clara answered, It is because we have forgiven each other. You think she told me that by accident? She ministered to me. There is no future for any of us in our lifetime if we don't clear the past. Many of us were, I think we were all young adults in the beginning, so we weren't conscious of that. When we came this way, we just cleared the past spontaneously. All kinds of things. Well, I'm conversing with brothers and sisters, most of whom have been here for quite a long time. If we want to go on, anything from our past church life history that's affecting our inner being 
needs to be touched. And there are two main categories. And we would do well to seek the Lord concerning them. And what I'll say now may sound perplexing, and I intend it to be initially. It appears that some saints don't want God to forgive their trespasses. Apparently, they don't want this. Because this, listen to what the Lord himself says in Mark 11, verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in the heavens may also forgive you your offenses. We would do well to just be with the Lord and ask him, Lord, is there anyone or anything I need to forgive? He knows. And he'll be faithful. You don't have to search. You just ask the Lord, is there anyone about whom I'm harboring not pleasant feelings because of what happened, then it's very likely names will come up. And then the Lord's word is, you're where someone has, you have something against someone, you forgive. Okay. Then this, here, now comes the thought. I will forgive if she repents. Well, if the person repents, you should forgive. But the Lord's word to you is, you don't wait for forgiveness, for repentance. You just forgive. Can I just tell you a little story? Like, because I can't disclose others' lives. I was with a person for years who was a, an ultra-laban to me, an exceedingly difficult person. And many were lost because of him, wounded and stumbled. But the Lord preserved me. And then at a certain time, there was quite an exchange between me and the Lord to forgive everything. And then to tell the Lord, I ask you to forgive him and never bring it up to him. Then when I saw him again after a time of separation, there was no problem. He continued to be difficult. There was no problem. Okay, we're all the same. I don't have a merit badge in forgiveness. I didn't take an online course in forgiveness. I'm the same as you. When we come to the Lord's table, we should have the sense, Lord, as far as it depends on me, I'm at peace with everyone. Now, I do know of someone who 
is waiting for me to repent to him. But it's never going to happen because I can't repent for what I didn't do. I need to repent enough for what I've done, but I can't repent for something I didn't do. Well, this is not a deep theological matter. But Brother Lee gave two main reasons why people leave the church life. One is unfulfilled ambition. The other is unforgiven offenses. Then related to the need to forgive, there's something else. And many times, younger saints have asked for fellowship. For some reason, it's been more often sisters and brothers, but I'm not stereotyping. And this is the situation. I know I need to forgive a certain person. And I thought I did. But it turns out I didn't. When I see the person, there's so much feeling there. And so my response is this. Whatever happened had a twofold effect on you. You were offended, so you need to forgive. And you were wounded, so now you need to be healed. Actually, you have forgiven the person. But the pain of the unhealed wound is still in you. And there is pain associated with the memory. And pain associated with seeing the person. That's a sign that you need someone to come to you with oil and wine. This is very real. And pour oil and wine into the wound. If there's any bitterness, that's drained off. And then your soul is free. And now it's just a fact this happened like on Wikipedia, if those are actually facts on Wikipedia, I guess sometimes they are, or in a dictionary, then you can go on. Because the first casualty of not forgiving others and not being healed is that you lose joy in the Lord. And then you think, oh, I'm, I'm making up what is lacking of the sufferings of Christ. Now, now you're self-deceived. You think your misery is the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. It's not. I have to tell you that. But if you forgive and you let the Lord minister to you, just let him serve you. Let him heal you. This is very real. Then the joy returns. And there's no longer a problem. You may not be particularly close to that person, but there's no problem. You're reconciled. So I think this is sufficient. You don't need a, a long message on this. You know what I think would happen? 
in churches where there was this forgiveness and this healing, I believe there would be revival. Not in a kind of outward Welsh revival way, necessarily, but just the level of life would increase. The oneness would be perfected. Okay, the second of the four matters for this session, again, we're going to another realm now, is we need to make in our actual living, humanly and spiritually, a revolutionary change in the principle by which we actually live. Now, I know that's not very clear. It's just the opener. You would all do well to reread Brother Watchman Nee's message on two principles of conduct. And the two principles correspond to the two trees in the garden. So the entire human race lives according to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, according to their concept of right and wrong. Every unsaved person lives this way. And almost all regenerated persons continue to live this way. And so in relations with others and in interaction with others, we're not going by the sense of life, but by a standard related to right and wrong. It is revolutionary for the Lord to uproot from your being, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Way back in 1968, when many of us were in Taiwan for the first time, some of us were pray reading parts of Matthew 3. We came to the verse, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. And the spirit in me shined and indicated the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the big tree of Christianity. I want to kill them at the root. I can't describe to you, although my dear wife can, the things we went through together over 25 years in working this out. So I would live with her as my dear wife and as a fellow heir of the grace of life, not according to right and wrong. I can't say too much, <clears throat> but my wife and I have different biorhythms regarding time. <laughs> when I am conking out about 10.30, she's just getting going. 
When I want to get going early, she is immobile. (laughs) So according to right and wrong, a wife should make breakfast for the husband. A mother, shouldn't she make the lunches? That's not a man thing. I do that, I lose my manhood. This is serious. So, I tried a few hundred times (laughs) to get her to wake up, and then I realized I am waking a sleeping lioness. (laughs) I think the Lord is concerned about me, about my principle of living, about my concept. So, when I would prepare a simple breakfast and I would prepare their lunch as wrong as I once thought this was, I was in life. And I didn't provoke civil war at home. (laughs) We'll see tonight that no self-righteous person who has a strong standard of righteousness for himself and then, of course, for others. No such person can be built up. It's impossible. So the principle of our living at the core needs to be changed. Now, The divine righteousness is the highest righteousness there is. When we live according to the sense of life, the principle of the tree of life, we will not be unrighteous. The Lord will not lead you to steal, to shoplift, to do this and that. But it's the divine life flowing in you that is governing you. Why, when I, and maybe you, sometimes, not all the time, it depends where I am inwardly, when I'm driving, why am I so bothered if someone cuts in front of me and then slows down and makes a right turn? Because it's wrong. It's wrong. Well, okay, it is wrong. And it seems the police are never there when others are wrong. (laughs) Where is the justice? Okay. But I react because I am living according to the other principle. I don't believe the Lord Jesus is bothered by being cut off in traffic like that. He just says, you know, he's neither he's not cynical, this is Just the way it is. I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible for the way I drive and the way I react to the way other people drive. Okay, this this puts you in a whole other realm. One reason why this is so crucial, because eventually it opens the way for you to live in the reality of the body of Christ everywhere, all the time. 
because you yourself are in this realm. Now, related to this, this is still the second point. There is another matter. And for the last two or three decades, I've been learning this. I learned it from Brother Lee, from a life study, from reading a life study. I don't remember what life study. I knew it was full of life and it was a study. <laughs> I don't know where it is, but you can do a, you can do a living stream search. And it has a little prayer by Brother Lee. And the prayer was, Lord, supply me with today's portion of grace. That touched me. And then the Lord used that and developed that. So now, it's just part of life. Lord, I don't know what today will hold. But I ask you to supply me with today's measure, today's portion of your all-sufficient grace. And this grace never fails. Have you learned this? Can you testify of this? No matter what. And my brothers and sisters, anything can happen to us. Everything can happen to us. We have sustained suffering at every level. Every level. We're not living in a utopia. And we're not superstitious. When a 12-year-old brother was murdered in Anaheim in 1981, someone I knew from infancy, I knew we are living in a war zone. Anything can happen. But our testimony is nothing is greater than the triune God as grace to us. We all know what I'm going to refer to, but please don't let what you know rob you of some supply. Paul had something he called a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. It surely was something physical. It could have been the problem with his sight. It was a piercing pain. And I appreciate it. He asked the Lord to take it away. I think some of us are too heroic or we're too religious. We want, we're going to pray something grandiose, like this thorn is sovereignly provided for the carrying out of the intrinsic significance of the high peak of the divine revelation <laughs> to build up the body of Christ to consummate the new Jerusalem. That's, what is that? You're singing like an operatic aria. What do you want? I want the thorn out. <laughs> then why don't you ask? I want the thorn taken away. Okay, no answer. So Paul prays the second time. Lord, I, I know you hear and you know all things, but let me tell you again, I really want this thorn to go. Okay, no answer. That's the baffling part.
no answer. And I don't know what he said the third time. It's probably an eternal secret between the Lord and Paul. Then the Lord answered, My grace is sufficient for you. He didn't just say, My grace is sufficient. That's doctrinal, brothers and sisters. Then brothers can talk about, Oh, grace is sufficient. They don't know what grace is, but they know the concept grace is sufficient. They'll visit someone suffering. They'll say grace is sufficient. Now you add to their suffering by your grace is sufficient lingo. But if you know, and the Lord says, because he says to you, my grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for you. And day by day, it's sufficient for you. No matter where you are. I wasn't bothered at all by being in the ER and being the cardiac care unit. Why did it take him six days to figure out? I don't know. His grace was sufficient. I was there in the Lord. I can let everything go. Then if you become a grace is sufficient person, and you visit someone who needs care, you probably won't say anything about grace. But your visitation will be the visitation of grace. One brother, again, I have to refer to something personal. Please don't think there's any element of boasting. There isn't. He lost his wife. His life companion. He's a co-worker. And just the, the suddenness and totally unexpected. And he reminded me he was sitting there in building four on the campus. And I knew he needed contact from a brother. And all I could do was walk up to him put my hand on his shoulder and lovingly look, look him in the eye. I couldn't say anything. Then he told me later. That meant so much to me. No words about God is sovereign. All things work together for good. That's the babbling of the immature. They're going to be immature until they're not. But all over the earth, in all the churches, the Lord needs 50 to infinity saints. I told the saints last night, I'm closer to infinity than to 50. Okay. So what? So what? That just by their own living, by the principle of life, their own living daily by the grace of the Lord, Whatever they speak ministers grace. If they say hi, you know, sometimes it's okay to say hi to each other. You don't have to say hello, brother, because you don't know the person's name, so you use brother as a way of greeting. <laughs> or, or, if, or if you're in a semi-annual training, you say hello, and you try to look at the badge and say, who is that? <laughs> I've been there and done all this stuff. You know. And so... 
we need to open to the Lord because he wants to apply the axe to the root of the tree of knowledge in you. This happened to Brother Lee. It happened to Brother Nee. It happened to Paul. There's an inner transfer. And you just live by the triune God as life and by the sense of life in every situation. Okay, we're uh, on schedule, I think. So the next matter to cover is related to point two. Oh, one other matter concerning point two. If we stop in our experience of life with the second stage, and we're those that deal with the conscience and keep a good and clear conscience, then we will become the most ethical of persons, moral, circumspect. But we'll be living in the realm of ethics. And uh, we will have a basic vowel problem. What on earth, Ron, is a vowel problem? Well, it's too many O's. Too many O's. You are good. You're good. It's that second O. You should be God. Not in the Godhead, of course, not in his incommunicable attributes, not as an object of worship. We're not here to be a bunch of Eagle Scouts with a sash displaying merit badges plus medals. I I survived the upheaval of 78. (laughs) And over here, I survived the turmoil of 89. Someone else really has the master medal. I survived 50 years of church life in the Bay Area. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope if anyone has that medal, they can say, it's a new day in the Bay Area. This is one blessed time, and what the Lord is doing here is going to flow into the whole body. Yeah. The Lord gains 50-plusers in the Bay Area. He'll gain 50-plusers in every country. This is the principle of the body. So for the Lord to transform us from good to God is not a simple thing. I just want to say too much. If I say too much, we'll just be unnecessarily serious about the whole thing. That's why Job is there. Here's this perfect person, the most righteous man on the earth, good man, even wants to see God in court. And God has to give him certain experiences so that eventually he will be a man of God. And so the meaning of many of the things we have gone through under the discipline of the Holy Spirit is not to deal with evil, not to deal with sin. The Lord has to deal with those. 
but to deal with our good ethical self. Sickeningly good. And the good just is in our tone. It affects our prayer. But when the Lord comes and touches the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, replaces it with the tree of life, then we live out God, and this is the third point, the God-man living. Okay, what is it? Many times, <clears throat> uh, especially when I'm with really young adults like our trainees, they ask, what was it like? What was brotherly like? What was it like to be one of those serving with them? So I don't know what they were expecting to hear. But I may share certain things with them. But what I'm usually burdened to share is he was the most human person I ever met. Divinely human. So I'm going to tell you one of my favorite brotherly stories. Some of you heard it once. Some of you heard it a lot more than once. But here it comes. It's fresh to me, so let it be fresh to you. In 1968, 140 of us went to Taipei. We received strict preparation from the brothers in L.A. Don't be worldly. We're not going there to be worldly. Don't bring anything worldly with you. So I'm an extremist, okay? Is my electric shaver worldly? Am I less worldly (laughs) if I have a safety razor, you know? When you're there, don't be involved in anything worldly. And so we were serious and we were earnest and we didn't want to be worldly. So we got there and we were doing our best not to be worldly. And one Lord's Day afternoon, the dear saints took us by bus to the harbor in Kilum. And we got out, we're walking around the shore, and we saw vendors selling bags of seashells. And actually, I wanted to get a bag to bring to my wife. But we were talking, whispering, if if we do this, it's worldly. (laughs) We didn't come here to be worldly. So we were, we adhered to our strictness, not mainly what was put into us, what was in us already. And I'm walking back to the bus behind Brother Lee, maybe 20 feet behind him. He's not moving his arms because he has both arms down at his side, and in each hand he has two bags of seashells. <laughs> <coughs> So either he's worldly or I need to learn something about being human in Jesus. So there are other stories. I I don't want to distract us by this. What God wants to see in us and it just can't happen happen with consistency and depth 
with someone humanly young. They haven't had enough experiences, spiritual and human, for this really to happen. Okay? They are where they are, where they need to be, but they're not in a position in their 20s or in their 30s, except in very rare cases, to exemplify a divinely human person. Someone who is increasingly filled and saturated with God and life and nature, even becoming God and life and nature, but not in the Godhead, yet enjoys the humanity of Jesus and becomes approachably human. You don't hyperventilate when that person comes on the scene. You can actually approach him or her and you can have fellowship or whatever. The reality of the body of Christ is the corporate living of such God-men, divinely human persons. The Lord knows I'm not being humble. I'm not trying to act humble before you. I was a challenging case even to him. Okay? It took a lot of things to get through. So in, in Eldon Hall, I picked up this word from an elder. Oh, in the Lord's recovery, we don't have vacations. We don't take vacations. That's worldly. So I took it in. I mean, this is obviously a spiritual man. He's a godly man. I don't want to be worldly. And so we now have Three children from toddler to about six. No vacation because it's worldly. So now I'm serving full time in Anaheim. It's the summer of 1975. And a co-worker comes to me and says, you know, you should take your family away for a vacation. But the religion in me was resisting. Then he, he said again, brother, why don't you do this? So I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. So we went down to San Diego and now all the kids are middle-aged. They don't qualify for 50 plus yet, but they're in their 40s. And that we can all still chant, referring to the roads in San Diego County, eight to five. To see world drive, to see the whale that will die. <laughs> you know, then we went to the wild animal park and whatever. Then I saw what my daughter wrote for school when asked her, right, what did you do in the summer? And she wrote about that trip, and I realized. I'm through with this religious notion. I will take care of my family and of my wife in a very human way. Amen. We still know the best campsite in the high country of Yosemite National Park. Enter through Moosehead. Look for the signs for the high country. Go up there. You'll see a sign for Yosemite Creek. Turn right to the road. Instruct the person in the passenger side not to look down. 
Just follow the road through where all the little tents are. Follow it through to the end, right to the river. There it is. How do I know? I spent a week there learning to be human in Jesus. So whatever my daughter and sons, however they may be regarding Christ and the church, they can testify. We never had any loss. I went to my daughter's gymnastic tournaments. I prayed for my older son. It was a Friday night football game. I prayed for him. Maybe you think this is, this, what does this have to do with God's economy? I said, give David a good experience. He was a defensive back, you know, way out there in the open. Then he intercepts this pass <laughs> and is running toward the goal line until the enemy knocked him out of bounds. <laughs> Well, I've been learning to be truly human in Jesus, not naturally human, but divinely human. Knowing the Jesus of Luke. In chapter four, or sorry, seven, when there was that funeral procession. And the widow's son, her only son, was there on the bier. It was open. The Lord stopped the funeral. Why? Why? He wasn't about to be on some religious, dramatic TV production. He didn't say, stop. This is an opportunity for me to display the power of God. He had compassion on the widow. That's why he stopped. She's a widow who lost her only son. What kind of grief is this? So he stopped the funeral procession, raised up the dead son, and returned him to his mother. That's human. Even Paul, on the imprisonment voyage, what a storm. Of course, he had taken Shipwreck 101, Shipwreck 102. <laughs> he went online, ship, Shipwreck 1.2, Shipwreck 1.3. He mentions this in Second Corinthians. He said, I've been shipwrecked three times. So after a while, he stands up on the deck. Luke is there. He said, men, the God whom I serve sent his angel to me. I assure you, no lives will be lost. We will lose the ship. So he's a prisoner. He's actually reigning there. Then he goes on to say, you haven't eaten for a long time. Then he took some bread and he blessed it and broke it and began to eat. And then he says, cheer up. Now, when you're in the midst of a tempest, you want someone to come to you and say, cheer up, fella. <laughs> then, I don't know if Paul could swim or not. Those who could swim made it to shore that way. Others said, hang on to a part of the ship. 
So he got to the shore, soaked and cold. So they set up a fire, and Paul is gathering sticks to put in the fire. And a snake, a poisonous snake, fastens itself to his hand. Now, I don't know whether I should dramatize this or not. I'll just have to see. There are different ways you can react to this. You could be stoical. You can say, well, I guess this is the end. (laughs) I guess this is the end. Or you could be full of self-pity and say, why does everything happen to me? (laughs) I just went through a storm. I'm soaking wet. Now I have a viper hanging from my hand. (laughs) Neither did he say, because the native people are watching him, they said, surely he's a murderer. Now now he's going to get it. He could have said, hush, everyone. I have the power of God, which is great. I will take the snake, twirl it around my head, (laughs) dash it on the floor, crush its head. Now you know what kind of man is among you. So what was that you said I was? Do you want to say that again? You know what he did? He just shook it off. And nothing happened to him. So the USA poll, they had another poll, they conducted it and said, no, now we don't think you're a murderer, we think you're a god. (laughs) Nothing affected him. He didn't say to everyone else who had been on the ship, um, I don't do petty labor like gathering sticks. I mean, I'm writing the New Testament. I'm the chiefest apostle. I brought you all through. Let me take this stump as my throne and ensconce myself here. No, he's just gathering wood. Then he heard that the father of a young man who was gracious to them was ill. He healed him and so many others. And when they were able to leave, the people came and put provisions and blessed them because a God-man was there. I know from 24 years serving with Brother Lee what a God-man looks like. How a God-man works. How a God-man prays. How a God-man faces illness. And how a God-man finishes his course. I saw it. And we were allowed to go into his room to say something final to him. And the presiding Dr. Brother said, he can still hear, the hearing is among the last to go. So I went there. He knew it was any moment he will go. We could say a final word to him. So there was this old creation body dying, but inside was a glorious New creation. When I, if you ask me what I want to be when I grow up, I want to be a God man.
not religious. To be religious is to do something for God or to try to benefit people in the name of God without Christ and without the Spirit. We have an opportunity in this next phase of our life to allow the God-man to reproduce himself in us so that wherever we are, if it's your turn to be in an MRI chamber with your nose about this close to the top of it and you can't move, especially when they're instructing you, okay, now the sound is coming, you're in there. You can be in there like thousands of other patients or you can be in there with God. Outwardly, you're like anybody else. But that technician and those nurses, when they roll you out of there, they're going to have a sense. We've seen a lot of people, but not like this. That's a God man. It's a God man. So the way for this to happen is in our fourth point. And again, I'm not giving any new teaching. There's no so-called new light here. <clears throat> but I also owe this to Brother Lee's perfecting. I didn't find this on my own. After he was in prison by the Japanese invading army and was tried there, he contracted serious tuberculosis of the lungs and was laid aside for two years. This very active person was laid aside for two years. And he testifies concerning much of it. He prayed for healing. He thought in order to be healed, I need to confess. He said, I confessed until I was just worn out with confessing. But during that time, an intrinsic turn took place in his being. The turn to the tree of life, and this is the point, the turn to the central work of God. And the Lord healed him in life. And if you look at the volume, not in the collected works, but the separate volume, on messages given during the resumption of Watchman Nee's ministry, you will see those messages are spoken by Watchman Nee and Witnessly. And there you will find a number of messages. The central work of God. The central work of God. The central work of God. And this began to capture my attention. Then to see how this developed in Brother Lee's ministry among us, from this angle and that angle, again and again. And then finally, the light dawned. Someone was praying, not only someone in heaven, someone on earth was praying. And I realized, Lord, there are so many things that we need to do. They're indispensable, they're necessary. But you have a central work. That is to work yourself in Christ as the Spirit. 
into my entire being. Since this is your central work, then it will become the central matter in my life with you. The central matter. The intrinsic thing for which I pray. I don't really know how to pray for my wife. How do I pray for my daughter and her afflictions? But I always come back to this. Lord, strengthen her. Strengthen them with power through your spirit into the inner man so that Christ may make his home deep down in their hearts. So it's been probably about 20 years, day by day. It's not a mantra. I don't care to quote it with perfect grammar, but to pray, Lord, today, this is a basic exercise. I turn my heart to you. I open my heart to you. I draw near to you with my turned and open heart. Now I pray, strengthen me with power into the inner man. Lord, make your home in my heart. Occupy every part of me, every part. Then eventually, the Lord expanded that under his enlightening. With Why? Why do you want this? And more light came. Lord, this is for the body. This is not for my spirituality. This is for the body of Christ. Then I learned when we link this kind of personal prayer, and there's a time to pray for our personal situation, when we link that to God's goal to build up the body, we have the Lord's attention. So now... We know mutually, I'm not here because I want to become an exemplary spiritual person. I don't want to be a hero. I don't want to be unique. I just want to be normal. A normal God-man. A normal member of the body of Christ. A slave in the household of God a functioning member in the body. Now, actually, if you are somewhat concerned about, oh, myself, my disposition, my peculiarity, I would caution you, don't focus on this. The prayer of the central work of God opens the way for the Lord to touch all of these things. We should be positive in our pursuit. The crucial thing is that we open to him and we sincerely tell him, I give you access to every part of my being. If you are afraid to do this right now, he knows you're afraid. And you're afraid that if you do this, you'll suffer something. So, tell him, Lord, I'm only going to open this much. And the Lord, I assure you, he'll say, I'm I'm good with that. I can work with that. 
I'll come in that much. Then your faith and love increase and you say, Lord, I think um, I'd like to go a little farther now. I said, okay, I can go farther now. Then eventually, you're fully open. Lord, I don't protect any part. I don't hide any part. I want you to make your home. I want you to live in my mind, in my emotion, in my will, in my whole heart. So I pray for you to do this. That's all you have to do. He knows what he needs to touch, what you need to experience, where he needs to go. He's the heart knower, right? He looks upon the heart. Then as I'm finishing this, I'd like to draw a parallel between this and another crucial matter for all of us. And that is the parable we all know in Matthew 25 regarding the ten virgins. Because they were virgins, they were regenerated, they all had oil deep in their spirit. But there was a difference between the two categories. Some had oil in their vessels. They all had oil in their lamp, which is the spirit. But some used the time allocated to them to pay the price to get oil in their vessel. That is for their soul to be filled with the spirit. And this parable strictly interpreted applies to the unbelievers who finish their course and then go to be with the Lord. And I think most of us, our mind is fully free from the religious myth that death solves all problems. Death does not solve any problems. So when they are resurrected, they're still in the same spiritual condition. And those without oil in their vessel cannot be in the wedding feast. And they want to get the oil from those who have, and now a principle is applied. It's not that, oh, I love you, so sure you can have some. No, the principle is you have to buy it. You have to buy it. It's not cheap. The Lord paid the full price. We pay no price for oil to be in our lamp. But we need to pay some price that, that the Lord will make known to us if we're to have the oil filling our vessel. Now, I mentioned last night, somewhat lightly, because I think it was appropriate to do it, because there's no benefit in being lugubrious. Oh, what a good scrabble word, lugubrious. It's being serious and solemn to a morbid extreme. So there's no benefit in making you all now so solemn that no one can smile, no one can laugh during the break. No. But we should just be sober. We should just be clear. I'm still hoping to be part of the first fruits along with you to be raptured, lie, and not die. Why not hope this? 
But if that's not the Lord's measuring for me, and this will be the last point we cover tonight, if I need to finish my course before all this can happen, then I go to be with the Lord. Then this is what's in my heart. I want to be full of God. I want my vessel to be full of oil, full of the Spirit. So I pass on these four matters to you, and I offer them to the Lord as a little heave offering, and look to him that he as the Lord's Spirit will care for every one of you, dear, open, loving, seeking saints. I'm not a men pleaser. I'm not a politician. I do nothing for fear of man. But simply being with you cherishes me, encourages me, uplifts my heart and spirit, and energizes me to press on. So please, as you have time in the Lord's leading, clear your entire past in the Lord's recovery by forgiveness and healing. Learn to live by grace according to the principle of the tree of life. Enjoy Jesus as the meal offering. Let us eat Jesus every day to become a reproduction of the first God-man, to be divinely human. Then maybe I'll go to Keelung Harbor again and both of us will have bags of seashells <laughs> in our hands. <laughs> you get the point. And then, please take heed to the central work of God. Don't be so occupied with other necessary things that you neglect this. It doesn't have to be formal. You can be in the shower. You can be waiting at the red arrow because the car is in front of you in the left turn lane at too, too slow response. So now you're there for two and a half minutes. Okay, you can say, Lord, I'm reminded to pray that you will strengthen me with power into the inner man and make your home in my heart. And I would even like to gain a itty bit of oil in this two and a half minutes instead of condemning the universe for its injustice. <laughs> and at the same time, will increasingly be filled with God. Then look, the more this happens, the more useful you're going to be. You're going to bring people to the Lord. You're going to visit new ones in their homes. You will be in home meetings, in mutual perfecting. You will be able to prophesy on the Lord's Day meeting. But even more than that, you will be able to shepherd the saints, love them, pour out your life for them, cherish them, nourish them. And the Lord will take note. And when you meet him, he'll say, good job. Good job. You are not a hero. You are not a co-worker. I didn't want you to be an elder. You were a normal member. You became a God-man. You let me fill you. And you took care of a lot of sheep and a lot of little lambs. So now, guess what? 
come into my joy and reign with me for a thousand years. That's our reward. So let's take a minute, as you're so led, to pray with someone nearby. If you don't want to do that, then just sit there peacefully. Then we need for about 20 minutes or so a number, speaking about a minute, minute and a half each, to offer some confirmation of this from any point. Okay? So let's pray for a minute, then prophesy for about 20 minutes.